Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother. Kramer. Chaz Kramer, asshole. (laughs) Famous last words from my brother Wes. Today we are talking about Constantine. Currently streaming on HBO Max. So uh, always the first question, had you seen Constantine? Prior to 2020, no. Prior to this review, yes. So I've seen it twice. I saw it earlier this year on a binge movie fest weekend in Ohio, And then again in preparation for this review. And where do you feel it fits into Keanu Reeves' filmography? Aside from him being yet another character named John. In my keanu I'm getting a sense of what Keanu Reeves' sweet spot is, and this is definitely it. Lots of great action and cold, solemn looks, and, like, not not a lot of talking. <laughs> this is the weird thing that where it's, like, it's John Wicky and that he's endearing, even though he's kind of gruff and not at all endearing. Yeah, he's kind of charming. He's a sympathetic character because he is not an underdog. He's, like, hurting. He's downtrodden I or mean, whatever. He want, he, Tortured. He knows for certain, unlike most mortals, that he's going to hell. And imagine how that would color your everyday life. So he was cool in this movie. He was a different kind of cool than The Matrix's Neo. Having just come off of that trilogy, this is, I think, one of his, if not his first movie after that trilogy. Uh, looked a little bit drawn. Obviously, he was not doing so great health-wise. But he was cool looking and had his little tie and stuff. And I wondered if that was because of the smoking. And how a movie character would like that would play 
these days. There was a Constantine TV show uh, maybe six years ago that didn't last very long at all. More faithful to the comics. I also got a Clint Eastwood vibe from him. Did you get that at all? The kind of sneering, <laughs> growly, kind of smoky thing? Huh. Yeah, I could see that. Man, a few words, soft-spoken, but very impactful. And him being the practical realist in a movie that was totally surreal. Heaven and hell and demons and all this stuff. Because he played it so matter-of-fact that there was this divine war kind of happening right underneath our feet. Yeah, and he was like, okay, well, powers of good and evil, or whatever. That's not my Keanu Reeves impression. It's more like this. Even then, that's like Ted or Bill or Point Break. Just do, I lost it. Just do Ted, but like whisper. Ted, okay. Nope, you lost it. But he was a, <laughs> but he's definitely like a typical hard-boiled detective type, right? <laughs> Just in a fantastical war between the powers of good and evil. Uh, that's interesting too, because it had a noir kind of feeling to it. Very dark, very urban-y, detective, urban detective-y. So I was trying to pin down what kind of movie this was. Is this horror? Is it action movie? I think it's a straight up action movie. And a lot of that has to do with Keanu Reeves because our protagonist is not scared. But there's horror scares like demons jumping out behind corners and scampering around hellscapes. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Is it a horror movie in horror movies because the stars are horrified? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the case with Constantine, at least, because we can go with our protagonist with confidence that he has the means to kind of face the demons or the half-breeds, as he calls them. And we're not kind of always on edge and anxious because we kind of draft off of Constantine's confidence. It derails what I came up with about this movie, which is that it's a lesser sort of millennial exorcist. <laughs> It's it's way cooler and it's more actiony, but also heaven and hell and demons and good and evil. I was I almost, I almost had it there. Yeah, you were get you were picking it up a little bit. <laughs> but but more actiony because yeah, he's kind of in control and stuff happens to him, but he's kind of resigned to it. He's resigned to it. This is old hat to him. I think the only thing that's kind of new for Constantine is this idea of uh, letting someone in. And the new feelings he feels for Angela slash Isabel and the ultimate sacrifice he finds himself making at the end. I think that's what's the new territory for Constantine. Even though they don't smooch at the end. No smooches. I thought that was going to be reserved for the sequel, which we've never gotten. <laughs> and probably won't get. He's getting pretty old. It's This is a fairly old movie by now. So much so that Shia LaBeouf looks pretty cheruby here. <laughs> yeah. 2005, this movie, um, Keanu Reeves is still looking quite at his prime. Um, Rachel Weisz is and always has been gorgeous, but she makes a great love interest. And I thought that the two of them had great chemistry and they and whether it was the talent or or the director, they maintained the sexual tension throughout. Like that scene just before he gives her a bath. Hot. <laughs> I wouldn't quite call it giving her a bath. He more It's almost an attempted murder. But I thought you were going to say this relationship where he lets somebody in. I thought that was going to be the Chaz character. I thought you meant Shia. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Although he does, you know, he finally lets uh, Shia do a little bit more than drive. But yeah, when he when he takes a moment and he pauses and he thinks whether he's going to abuse his place of... Um, his knowledge to make her take off her clothes it's pretty it's kind of charming especially when she's like john 
because she's totally into it. But it's all derailed when she gets into the bathtub with her shoes on. Yeah, there's a lot like of Like, even shoes. if she doesn't take off her clothes, take off the shoes. There's a lot of clothes and water in this movie. And he sets a precedent by doing his little shoes in the pan thing, which you're like, is that really necessary? Water being the universal conduit. And you have to be fully submerged except for your knees and your arms. I, th- <laughs> I think he said that it was the uh, universal lubricant. <laughs> Sliding between planes or something really weird and sexual. Okay. Yeah, that's not weird at all. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, when he puts his feet in the pan of water, like he could have taken off those shoes, which I'm sure were very nice, especially if he has $200 shirts. What was interesting about the scene in the bathtub is Rachel Weisz's character didn't go to hell. She confirmed that she saw Isabel, but on screen, we didn't see her go to hell, probably because we had just seen Constantine go to hell and established that she was there. She just popped out of the tub or broke through the tub all steamy and crying. So they come back from hell steamy because it's really hot? I don't know. But well, if water is the lubricant or whatever, yeah, then maybe it gets a little bit steamy and you get all heated up in there. I'm not really sure how this works. I didn't know how a lot of this worked. But why did hell kind of look like the upside down when you're wearing the ring? Yeah, a little bit swirly and stuff. It was based on nuclear test footage, like just the annihilation from the heat and the blast. Huh. That kind of vibe. It was kind of Terminator 2E in that way. But it wasn't the original concept for hell. It was originally a black void with an oil slick on the floor, which could also be good, but is not very visually dynamic. That's also very um, Stranger Thingsy, though. They they did that motif as well. I mean, this isn't 80s, but maybe Stranger Things took from this. It definitely has a vibe, right? A paranormal upside down kind of vibe. Parallel plane. I mean, we saw in the reflected image of Mamon when uh, Satan got a hold of him, when Lucifer got a hold of him in the bathroom. We saw it in the mirror, all that sort of inverted images stuff, uh, you know, kind of relating to the other world. There's a lot about Constantine that you just kind of have to roll with, especially if you're not familiar with the comics and how what the rules of this world are. But do you have a handle on the religious historical aspect? Like, is Mamon a thing? Not as far as I know, but it's a different Bible, right? It's a hell Bible. (laughs) Extra chapters of Corinthians. I'm not good at this kind of stuff. This whole religious themed stuff kind of bugs me. When it comes to shows where characters are religiously motivated, the whole war thing between faith and non-believers isn't really my jam. Hmm. I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't track the story. Mamon could have been any of the primary demons that showed up in... Denzel Washington and Fallen or Exorcism of Emily Rose or even The Exorcist, right? It's just a powerful demon that that crosses over. They are the sort of gatekeepers that are in between worlds and facilitate the, they ordinarily maintain the balance as they called it, but otherwise when things go awry, there seems to be counterparts on both sides. Whereas the Archangel Gabriel is typically heaven based and Balthazar is definitely more of a demon. It seems like when they go bad, they each go bad at the same time. So there's still a balance. It's just Mamon is the interference that's uh, trying to cross from one plane to the next. So Satan played by the great Peter Stormare cracks down on Gabriel and Mamon because they're breaking the rules or because he doesn't want his son to rival Satan. I thought it was super cool and clever that Constantine basically summons Satan, you know, to come and do what he can't do, stop Mamon from being born. But why exactly does is Satan motivated to stop that birth? 
I think it was just a joyride. You know, not now, son. Your time will come, and it's not now. Go back to hell and go back to your room. <laughs> and in the meantime, it's worth the trip because I can pick up Constantine, who I've been waiting for, waiting to see for a long time. Well, he picks up Constantine, and then Constantine tips Satan off to what's happening in the other room. And he's like, mm, are you just tricking me? And then he goes, right, and he stops the birth from happening. And then he comes back and is like, all right, that was a good tip. Now what do I owe you? What does he say? What does he say? Extension. Yeah. So what do you want? He was kind of serpenty, you know, he was super slick, but it wasn't like charming. It was off-putting. I mean, that's like the nicest possible adjective you could use for Satan, but he was very Satan-y. Is there, so she called him a bunch of things, most unclean, little horn and all this stuff. And we call him Satan because that's who he is. But Lucifer and Satan, because he was only referred to, I think, as Lucifer, specifically by Gabriel, they are the same person, undoubtedly, right? Um, yeah. If you can call them a person, that is. Yeah. But I'm going with Peter Stormare. He's not quite Captain Hook. He's not quite, he's not quite El Guapo, but a damn good villain. My favorite representation of Lucifer or Satan in the history of movies. Hmm. Compared to, let's just get some, you know, reference here. I don't know. But uh, I tell you what, I can compare him to the other versions of Satan that were floated for him playing. Okay. He's sweaty and slimy, but he looks put together. He's refined and has his little white suit and stuff. I guess technically it's off-white. He doesn't have his eyebrows. Um, He has the remnants of that oil slick floor in his dirty feet, his oily feet. Yeah. He's got those tattoos peeking out from under the suit on his neck and on his arms. That's really ominous. And he's got that squeaky high laugh. He's just scary and off-putting. Yes. In a thinks-he's-slick kind of way that I really like. But originally, the concept for this thing, like hell changed, a number of design changes happened. He was supposed to be wearing leather pants and a spiked collar around his neck. No. That's the original concept. (laughs) He actually suggested some of the elements for Satan, and I think he did a great job both in performance and in suggesting to remove or alter some of the dumber elements. Yeah. Which made, for me, the best Lucifer ever. This Lucifer did not feel like a cartoon. This Lucifer felt like a very menacing real person that could do you serious physical harm. Like not that he was physically imposing, but he had the cunning and the confidence that just kind of makes you scared. Just that aura. He's definitely played goofy doofy roles before. You know who's kind of goofy doofy in this? Who don't say it. Gavin Rosdale? Oh yeah. No, he's He's Goofy Doofy in general and the lead singer of the worst band of the 90s. And that's counting Creed, I think. (laughs) Having him in this movie demonstrates so clearly that this movie is old. I I asked Kelly, do you recognize him? And I was like, that's the Gwen Stefani cheating Gavin Rossdale lead singer of Bush. And she's like, oh, okay, because he's completely and thoroughly irrelevant. When I, in going into this movie, I mentioned to Kelly, look, this isn't going to be scary or anything, but it's a little bit gross. Like, it's kind of unpleasant to watch. And I was thinking entirely of the Balthazar scene. I didn't care about Balthazar. He's a half-breed. He services the plot or whatever. Same with Midnight, mm. who is very strange. But these sort of secondary characters I didn't care about, all they did for me was establish this immersive underworld in the club, in the Satan club. And with all these characters where it exists, 
below typical humans level of understanding in the same way that this underworld of assassins and their society exists in New York and John Wick. Yeah, they kind of serve to legitimize John Constantine in a way that, you know, they exemplify that his reputation precedes him. They have a relationship with him. And they serve to make it, I guess, more immersive. But I didn't care about the world in John Wick. I didn't, oh, like there's a whole underworld of assassins. I don't care. Just make him cool. Just make the primary characters cool. And so, yeah, maybe they did. Midnight and Balthazar and these secondary characters. I think Gabriel stands out as a main character. The amazing Tilda Swinton. And even Kelly said, man, this is like her lane. She's so good at this type of role, this sort of androgynous, androgynous. sort of role. But great. And she's a good compliment to Peter Stormare. You see the two of them in the scene and Keanu Reeves kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like seeing Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman duke it out in Dracula. And Keanu Reeves is like hovering in the background with bad hair. <laughs> it's, but watching, watching Peter Stormare and Tilda Swinton duke it out is my favorite part of Constantine entirely. She doesn't put up much of a fight. I mean, he dispatches her pretty quickly, don't you think? Well, just as in, in that comic book movies tend to be kind of slight, when you see heavyweights together, you're like, this is the best part of it. It's like doubt. And you have Amy Adams there and you have Viola Davis, both of whom are great. But when you see Phil Hoffman and Meryl Streep go head to head, you're like, here it is. This is the heavyweight bout. This is the focus, the center of this movie. Hmm. This is what the plot was all leading to. Yep. And everyone else is, is tangential, including Shia. Yeah, but he's comic relief. He serves a tonal purpose. And I've decided that Shia is best. Shia LaBeouf, the actor, in these kinds of movies is best as a sidekick. Sidekick to Constantine. Sidekick to Indiana Jones. To Transformers. To a tax collector. To a Down Syndrome kid. <laughs> I think that Shia LaBeouf is best when he's a fish out of water. When he's out of his element and he's figuring things out and he's using his wits and his... You know, street smarts. You know, that's when he's kind of at his best. Yeah, kind of quippy as the uh, comic relief. He um, is smart, but he's more reactionary. Kind of like Justin Bartha. As the straight man in The Hangover? Or in, uh, like, National Treasure and stuff. He's funny and quippy, but not quite on top of it. He just is a uh, counterpart to the person in charge. You kind of felt bad when he gets slammed, though. Sure, but why didn't Constantine get slammed? He could have easily, he was far more of a threat. But who did it? Gabriel did it, right? Because I, I don't know, man. There was some loose and fast playing with the balance and who does what. I was thinking about this, and I think the director, Francis Lawrence, was perfect for this because this is a movie where you benefit from the fact that he prioritizes the visual style and storytelling over some of the rules and the way that the story works. Like it would be tedious to belabor the rules of this world. Instead, you get a really cool looking world and it allows you to just kind of roll with it. Man, it's almost like he'd be like a music video director or something and like chosen specifically for his visual style because this is his first feature film. First feature film. I think it's all kind of represented in his gold-plated crucifix Tommy gun that he carries around. It's all yeah, just like style, right? Yeah, apparently Keanu Reeves bought that prop and gave it to Mr. Lawrence as a gift after the, the film wrapped. Oh, bought it from whom? Props or whatever from the studio. 
the props were cool. I think a lot of the shots were cool. Um, I bought this movie for a reason, and mostly it's because of Peter Stormare and Tilda Swinton. I guess because of Keanu Reeves, but although this wasn't the, t this was when people were a little bit tired of the Matrix franchise, it had run its course, and this was kind of the sad Keanu era. This is before the Keanu Sans, even though we're revisiting them in the midst of the Keanu Sans. Visually, I think there's a very particular time in effects during the early aughts where these creatures, the demons and monsters and things are kind of rubbery looking. It's like a very spawn, I call them gummy demons because they're kind of stretchy, and that very much comes into play in Francis Lawrence's next feature, which was I Am Legend, with the gummy, oh, not-quite-vampires. Yeah. yeah. And these are demons, granted, and they, they don't have the like defined musculature or skeletal basis. They're just kind of stretchy and weird. It feels really dated to me. What is it called when you wear the ring? Where are you? Are you in some place? Oh, you're, uh, it's not, it's not hell. It's not the upside down. It's the, uh, shadow world or something. Yeah. So when you're in the shadow world in Constantine, I didn't really mind the special effects. I mean, I actually thought that some of the practical effects were more distracting than the purely visual effects. And I'm thinking specifically of Baltazar melting away and looking kind of plasticine and melty. I think what bothers me most about that scene is not his like the grossness of his demon face but the steam coming off of him like that just looks like i mean gavin rossdale already looks like kind of a stinky dude but i don't think baltazar went unstinkily well he like he did a rapid decomposition and just kind of like was all methane or something uh, uh yeah because angela smells sulfur when she's in the presence of the balance being violated or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that all the steam wasn't refreshing steam. It was stink. <laughs> did she see those demons that descended on them in the uh, in the deserted L.A. street? Or did she just feel a presence? No, I think she saw it. But she didn't have any frame of reference. That was her introduction. And I'm sure it was kind of a blur. Because it wasn't until later, after the bathtub scene, that he said, once you see them, they see you. And basically, there's no turning back. Well, it seemed like he chased her out the door because he knew that the powers of darkness were coming for her and needed to save her or whatever. Or were they coming after him? Because if they were just coming after him, he would have dealt with them on his own terms and not endangered her. I wasn't really clear on a lot of this stuff. But yeah, he brought back the hospital wristband and all this stuff. And it took an awfully long time for her to believe, despite all the things she saw. Yeah, I don't know who snatched her. Why she flew through all the walls in that building and who she flew away with. I don't know if she saw that demon on the L.A. street. Interestingly, the scariest part of that whole scene was the bus zooming past <laughs> Constantine. It made Kelly jump, too. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it's just uh, it's but such it's a just cheap great, trick. It's a, it's a great detail, though, and it's, it's almost an interesting button to the scene. There's a lot of heaven and hell story stuff that's just not clear and i'm i keep on asking you these questions and i'm feeling like your answers are telling me that they don't really matter i don't think they do i think that the uh, movie starts off fairly strong it keeps us involved uh we're presented with a with a cool world and the, the end is super strong for me but i feel like the whole middle lags i feel like the priest with the alcohol i feel like all the midnight stuff uh shia's character disappears for a long time in the middle of the movie and that that's when we get into the world building to really flesh it out and make the ending come home but it's kind of boring for me the middle of this movie what happens to beeman 
Beeman the priest? Beeman the his Q like character who is who provides the, him. Oh, the B the bee man who died via bees in the bowling alley? I think it was flies, but yeah. No, I was just making a bee man association. <laughs> um I well, no, the somebody came for him, right? The dirty flies or something. <laughs> and he is the non half breed facilitator of Constantine. He's like the Arcana delivering, seeking out Q figure, yeah, who needs to be dealt with because he can't facilitate Constantine, which always led to maybe Constantine can't be killed. Maybe the bug attack on the street was their best shot, being attacked out in the open like that, and they can't kill Constantine, so they kill the people around him. He also seems like like he has some kind of balance exemption. Like, to kill him would be like to violate Satan and, and God's treaty game thing. I don't know. If John were on the hell track, you'd think that Satan would welcome any opportunity to bring him into the fold, right? Before he has a chance at some kind of redemption, which he ultimately finds. Hmm. Does the redemption piece move you at all? You know, this idea that he's selfish or that he didn't do anything for for anyone other than himself, even dispatching Satan's demons back to hell. Like all of that. I don't know, man. This brings up the religious context. Is he selfish for killing himself? If he was angling the whole time because he's been trying to redeem himself this whole time, if he found his loophole, then is it morally redeeming for him? Or did he find a way to save himself by saving Angela? I'm not sure. So it didn't resonate with me emotionally. I was more happy that he found his ability to outrun his past i guess the point is that i'm not sure whether or not he did it for angela and for isabel or if he did it because oh this is the opportunity to save myself it seems like in order to check the boxes for heaven or hell entry it doesn't matter if he makes the sacrifice and condemns himself by saving another person that's the captcha or whatever that's to prove he's human that's so so you're saying that it's not a matter of motivation if he did it out of cunning as a means to save himself or if he did it purely it doesn't matter because it's the act of the sacrifice yeah and if and either way it didn't move me emotionally because i wasn't sure it was ambiguous as to whether his motivations for doing it were ambiguous and i was like okay but that's kind of cool that he flipped off the devil I mean, it's cool in the sense that religious characters are typically portrayed as goody two-shoes, whereas this was a a world-hardened demon assassin type who can make the idea of faith cool. Couldn't you see just like millennial Christian rallies where like the preacher calls all of the Christian youth to like give Satan the finger? Yeah, be like Constantine. How he didn't become uh, an icon of that movement is beyond me. Maybe because of the smoking. Well, that's and that's the thing. He also turns from his self-destructive behavior. I mean, you said, you know, he looks tore up and he basically he's like given up because he knows where he's going. And in a way, he's self-destructive in the sense that he's just kind of ferrying himself along to that ultimate uh, destination. But at the end, he has a reason to put those self-destructive ways behind him because not only has he been given a second chance at heaven, but he's been given a second chance at life. Maybe we start off with a faulty assumption. Harry Potter is all about morality and good versus evil and and undoubtedly good triumphing over evil, except it's about witchcraft and therefore it's sacrilegious. Constantine, I guess, it can't be a he can't be a Christian champion because it's already sacrilegious and it just uses 
these themes, religious themes, to tell an action movie and doesn't support faith necessarily, right? As a virtue? I mean, it does for his character. I'm just saying this isn't, uh, it can't be folded into canon, Christian canon. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more Catholic. It is a spiritual battle that is played out on earth. Yeah. The point is it doesn't glorify a deity. And I'll tell you why. The Spear of Destiny, as cool a prop, I guess, and a MacGuffin as that was, also appeared. That prop, exact prop, appeared in Hellboy, which definitely has a devil for a hero or a demon, even though he may be morally changed. Do they exist in the same comic book universe? I don't know. They exist in the same studio and the same prop department. Well, you know, it's uh, you got to be efficient and recycle those props. But you said that this, in some way, maybe the directing stuff, was more my department. But religious-themed movies and junk? Definitely more your department. What did you think of Constantine? I thought it was substantial enough to be sufficient fodder for a or-whatever movies review. And thus, I troubled myself to watch it twice and trouble you enough to get you to review it with me. And I think it was apropos to my Keanissance and my Lebofissance. That does not work. The w- <laughs> <laughs> my Shyassance. I don't know if this is the time for him. Yeah, you're right. It's not. Let him let him court his controversy and we'll revisit him when he's cool again, if that ever happens. He's got to go like James Franco and just lay low for a while. He already wasn't doing. He was just he was just crawling up the hole, and he's like whack a mole back in it. <laughs> Constantine's pretty darn watchable, and Keanu Reeves is in is in his sweet spot. This is Keanu Reeves's thing. As long as he doesn't talk too much, and he you know can be of general service to the story, I think that uh, he's really great. I dug the chemistry between him and Rachel Weiss. I dug this world that they're in. Um, I thought it was an interesting twist on faith and sacrifice that kind of can cause you to stop and and think it was it was cool was it good oh you want me to that's what you want me to say oh my god i have to pee so bad hurry up it was good i got nothing emotional from this movie it was keanu reeves being cool keanu reeves as a method to get me to peter stormare and tilda swinton at the end of this movie which I like because I would watch just that movie. Constantine presents Gabriel and Lucifer. So uh, in in this vein, in this middle ground of Keanu Reeves, before all the love and after all the Matrixes, Constantine, sure, passable movie, all right. Let's go with all right. There you got it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on Constantine, a movie from 2005, currently streaming on HBO Max. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Hit us up or whatever movies at gmail.com on Instagram at or whatever movies. We'll see you next time. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? 
Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.